KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's me, Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. Happy 2021, everybody. Uh, this year has already proven to be a little crazy with the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. So I want you to know that I'm thinking about you and I am praying for your health and well being. Would you do me a favor? When you finish listening to this podcast, would you rate and review the show? We need your reviews to get it to the top. And if you have any suggestions for topics, please tweet at us. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. A storming of the U.S. Capitol by Trump supporters. These were fellow American citizens, not foreigners, who came and put our U.S. Capitol, put U.S. Congress under siege. There are growing calls to impeach President Donald Trump a second time. So where does this GOP go from here? There are certainly going to be uh, Trump loyalists going forward. The Republicans have a, a, an identity problem. We're talking about the conservative party civil war and what the future of Republican politics will look like. Then they're promoting promoting Philly's Black music history. It's really about having the supportive uh, group of like-minded people around you. A new pandemic-born effort to fund creativity. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is the Republican Party. Members of the GOP are shell-shocked after an angry mob of Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol this week in response to open encouragement from President Donald Trump. Now, challenges against Trump are mounting with members of his own party calling for his resignation or removal. So what does the future of the grand old party look like following this insurrection? We have three guests here to discuss this Flashpoint. First up is Rena Shaw, a national GOP strategist who founded Republican Women for Biden. Rena, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you so much for having me. So in your view, I mean, how does this week's insurgence at the Capitol affect the future of your party? What we saw on the 6th of January, a day that'll go down uh, in the history books as probably the most shocking in modern political history. I think this is in America, the act of domestic terrorism is one we do take seriously, but this is a point at which the country is forced to do some reflecting, some looking inward, because these were fellow American citizens, not foreigners, who came and put our U.S. Capitol, put U.S. Congress under siege on a day that it was doing something that is actually very much just a procedure enshrined in our constitution, which is the counting of the electoral college vote. For political insiders like me, it was a tough day. I actually had a very unique vantage point to the entire thing. I was not home as I usually am. I happened to be uh, on the rooftop of 101 Constitution Avenue, a private building, which is probably the closest you can get to the entire spectacle without being on the grounds of the west side of the Capitol. So I was there from about 12.30 to 5.30. I was supposed to be there for a few hours, but I was there probably a couple hours longer because of what had happened. There was a genuine fear in the air. Uh, I was not able to leave. I stayed in the same spot watching the entire melee, the, the pandemonium. I watched it from start to finish because actually at the time where I sat down in the spot that I watched the entire thing is when it started to get pretty bizarre. I, and I am a former Congressional Hill staffer. 
I spent uh, about half a decade on Capitol Hill working for two Republican members of the House of Representatives. And during that time, obviously, I became very well acquainted with security procedures around the U.S. Capitol complex. And I had a staff badge and I knew places I could get into and couldn't get into. And uh, to see these protesters, these vigilantes who broke into the Capitol in a way that was just absolutely astonishing for anybody who knows. It was traumatizing, frankly, because the crowd was largely male and it was largely white. And look, it's tough to talk in color like that in today's America, but you know, this was not a diverse group of people in any way. It was very shocking. And, and you're a rep- as a Republican, did it say what how much influence um, the president has over individuals for them to act out and in many ways commit crimes after being encouraged by the president. What does that tell you about your party and his influence over individuals? Number one, it says that the party's been completely remade in the image of this president. After Wednesday and sitting here today, I must say, uh, a couple days to process this entire thing, it's, it's tough. It's tough to see how the party moves forward, shaking really shaking off the persona of this man who they've taken on over the past uh, four to five years almost without any failure, whether it was the Mueller report, the Ukraine call that led to impeachment. There was no point at which we saw a serious defection of Republicans from this president. And, uh, And so it almost begs to really pose the question to anybody that puts an R next to their name, whether they're an elected official or a private citizen, What do we stand for as a nation? As a Republican, you actually encourage people to vote for Joe Biden because of the the way Trump was leading the party. I mean, what in your mind does the Republican Party stand for or what should it stand for? Well, the party should stand for the very things that it's always said it stands for, which is opportunity for all Americans, but in a different way. One that doesn't rely on big government, one that uh, really leans on the fiscal conservative principles that are intended to really help people get a hand up instead of a hand out. And that's that's really what the party's always said it's about. It's about really um, advancing America's agenda to not just make it more prosperous and com- competitive and innovative as a society, but to really stand for the best values that really made us on the world stage, the superpower, the country to be. And so where I found the Republican Party lost its way was well prior to Trump. And many have said that Trump was was certainly not uh, the problem. He was a symptom of a larger problem and something that had been brewing for quite some time. But I think the messaging, when when the Republican Party failed to message properly to newer demographics of Americans, new Americans like myself, who were the the children of immigrants, born and raised here, but uh, grew up knowing another language or two, or still carried on the, you know, the heritage for another country or the customs and, and those wonderful things that, that make us America, to bring that diversity into the public sphere, I thought was a very American thing where our diversity was celebrated. But I think the Republican Party at some point failed to, to genuinely accept that and to, instead of uh, embrace it, started to reject it. And that's where we saw that streak of nationalism, that whole America first business, which wasn't about economics, I believe, was sort of a, it was about America that was for sort of original immigrants, because it has always been a land of immigrants. We know that quite well. But has it been the melting pot that it 
we've been told it is, that in the history books were written to tell us that it is. I don't think the Republican Party has accepted that and done, frankly, the country any justice on that, on that narrative in any way. The party has failed to bring in women, particularly younger women, people of color, uh, again, the, the immigrants who come here for a better life and, and those who follow the letter of the law, like my parents, and, and did everything uh, they needed to do to really be an American and, and be proud of it. Uh, the Republican Party missed a sincere and real opportunity over the course of many years to bring those all those Americans to the party and say, we are a home for your values. We can advance your values with a strong, ambitious agenda that genuinely puts the, the health of its people first, whether it's economic health or physical health. And particularly this past year, we saw just how badly our government can fail us on both those fronts. In, in some ways, President Donald Trump activated a untapped portion of, of the American electorate and brought them mm-hmm. into the Republican Party. Um, this segment of white voters that felt disenfranchised, poor white voters specifically, and brought them in. And now he received 74 million votes, the largest uh, number of votes of a loser in, in, in any political race ever in America. I mean, how do you reconcile that? Because he still uh, was able to pull in so many in a very grassroots way. Well, what he did was tap this frustration of those who felt left out and who felt that uh, something was right about othering fellow Americans of theirs. And that that's where we've seen those Americans who, who frankly embrace the underbelly of society that Trump has shown us he represents. He represents the worst instincts that we as humans have. <laughs> and genuinely nonsensical, non-intellectual discourse. That's what the president has shown us he's about. This is a president, it seems, who, who grabbed onto another America, another image, another version. Uh, and that's where I find it to be the most puzzling because having made my career in Republican politics, I thought we were better than this. There is a, a sense amongst fellow Republicans like myself who spoke out about the president from the beginning that something ought to be, frankly, burned down. And maybe it's a party in its current form needs to be burned down in order to, to get to a sane and rational message of where we left off before Trump walked right through the door. I mean, he, he did do some things. And this was the, the logic that I think people... Uh, like yourself, um, used in 2016 to vote for him and had supported him until very recently. There was a very small crop of us and we were dubbed the Never Trump Movement. Uh, those of us who, who essentially called out this president when he came down the golden escalator to declare his candidacy, rather, excuse me. So I was one of those people that sounded the alarm back then because something didn't smell right to me. Something said to me right then and there that, first of all, there's no empirical data, even after he made it through some primaries uh, and started to look uh, competitive and like he was really top of the pack compared to all these establishment Republicans that had been in office and had been known uh, almost household Republican names. The failure of those Republicans to stop him 
doesn't say anything about the party as much as it says that so many Republicans decided to fall in line, even though they found him unpalatable. So I was part of the crop of folks who didn't vote for him in 2016. But I did hear that rationalizing, well, he's a Republican. He will do things that will be conservative and we can applaud those things where they would say things to me, supporters of the president in 2016, that they could uh, that they, they could really take the man as long as the mission was accomplished. At some point, I saw everything shift. I saw that the, the man became bigger than the mission. And so uh, for obviously for a number of conservatives, the judges were everything to those conservatives. And they decided to vote for Trump based on those judges, solely based on those judges. They sort of said, well, he's a flawed man, but aren't we all? And uh, so many of us, uh, unfortunately, with the acts on Capitol Hill on the 6th of January, we were vindicated. He still won 74 million votes. What will it look like once he is no longer president? Will President Trump still have so much influence or will this be an opportunity for more traditional uh, Republicans to take their party back? The reason I mentioned January 6th so much is because I think that was the that was the inflection point. People who voted for him in this past election did so because they accepted this false narrative that Democrats are the devil and that socialism is on its way here and you ought to vote against it. What I really saw at play was a demonization of an entire segment of our population, of the other side. And as somebody who made their career on Capitol Hill, I didn't expect that to happen. I didn't, I didn't in any way believe that that could happen. Um, but here we are. And so I don't want to say that we should vilify those who even voted for, for this president back in November. I flipped it and said, yes, I'd rather go with Joe Biden because I've seen what I, I've seen from Trump. And I don't believe he's responsible for any of the boons that were were frankly seen during his four years of presidency. Those were the result of Obama era policies. And as we wrap up, you know, how do you bring the party back together? Well, I think there's there's definitely going to be something of a civil war in the party. Let's not make any mistake. I've been told for four or five years now that I don't have a place in this party and that I'm a Republican in name only. I stick around with this party because I believe in being an agent of change. I believe this country needs a healthy two-party system. I think if I go to the other side and keep pointing, then, then what good is that? I made my entire career in this party prior to Trump. I've been a Republican longer than Trump. I, and I will remain even even when he's long gone. And so that is that is what I have before me. The task that I've decided to to really enlist myself to do is to be an agent of change within the Republican Party. Um, I think the complete failure to repudiate Trumpism from within, uh, you know, that's going to be really big. That's going to be how we how we essentially judge those who are part of the this era of American carnage, as it's been dubbed. We need to start from scratch in many ways. So yes, I am a bit of a burn it all down person. Take the party out <laughs> and start over. Yeah. That's, your, that's your POV on this. It cannot be a nationalist party that it's been. Well, with that, I want to say thank you so much, Serena Shaw, GOP strategist. I appreciate your time and attention on Flashpoint. Thank you so much for having me. Now I'd like to bring in Pennsylvania GOP strategist and Trump supporter, Charlie Giroux. Welcome to Flashpoint, Charlie. Great to be with you. Thank you for having me. So President Donald Trump lost Pennsylvania, but the GOP did pretty well down ballot. Will this week in Washington have any impact on the party in Pennsylvania? Well, it certainly will. It's going to have an impact on not only the Republican Party, but on the nation. 
and the emotions coming out of what happened on Wednesday are still pretty raw. And I think it will take some time for those to settle out a little bit. But as we move forward, I think you already alluded to the bright spots for the Republicans in Pennsylvania in particular, but we've got a lot of work to do. It seems like in some regard, there's a rift in the party. And some are saying that there's a civil war going on within the GOP. What are your thoughts on that? Well, both parties have had their share of civil wars, as you know, and there's a you know, war of a lesser sort, because I think the far left has pretty well prevailed in the Democrat Party recently. But, you know, anytime a party wants to be a majority party, there's going to be rifts and uh, confusion in it. You can be a very happy, settled, complacent minority, or you can be a dynamic, growing, sometimes uncomfortable majority. And those of us that are working very hard to make the Republican Party the majority party of the 21st century recognize that there are going to be fissures and disagreements and factions, et cetera, within a very large and hopefully growing tent. Quite a few Pennsylvania Republicans have aligned themselves with President Trump. Do you think that strategy will change? Will people distance themselves uh, once he's no longer president? What do you think the strategy will be going forward with regard to Trumpism? Well, that's a fascinating question, and I honestly don't know the answer to that. You're correct that you know, a significant number of Pennsylvania Republicans aligned themselves very, very closely with President Trump. And he received an awful lot of votes here. One, as you know, four years ago in a state that isn't very often won by Republican candidates for president. And that isn't lost on folks. So there are certainly going to be uh, Trump loyalists going forward. But I think the party will begin to look at where do we, capital W, capital E, go from here. It's going to be a much different looking party than the party of our parents or grandparents. It's going to be much more racially diverse, much more economically diverse, because as I say, it's going to be a big tent party. And where President Trump did really exceptionally well within the minority community, I think gives rise to the fact that other voices can take that increasing segment of the African-American community in particular, but the Latino community as well, and build upon that. As you may know, I'm a Latino, so I feel very, very strongly about where the party can head over the course of the next couple of years. Will that include Trumpism, though? This The group out there, and I talked to a number of reporters who were on the ground that was in Washington, mostly white male, not a lot of people of color storming the Capitol. Will these people be a part of that tent? And how do you sort of bring the people together? Well, I'm not sure exactly what you mean when you say Trumpism, because the thing that attracted an awful lot of people to President Trump were the successes of his policies. I mean, look what he did with the economy, particularly before the pandemic hit us. The economy was going at as good a speed as it has ever gone in our country's history. Minority unemployment was at an all-time low. There were opportunities being created for people across the board. And I think those are the things that were very attractive to a large number of folks. And I think that that is where the foundational building blocks for the future of the Republican Party lie. And and I want to bring uh, in Drexel uh, political science professor, Bill Rosenberg. How you doing, Bill? Welcome to Flashpoint. Hello. You know, there has been a major shift and, and Charlie touched upon that. We've been talking about that uh, during the show, how there has been a major shift in the Republican Party since the days of Ronald Reagan. Um, how did how did it get there? 
one of the things that we have to recognize is that nationally, most people are not Democrats or Republicans. They're independents. About 40% are independents and about roughly 30% are Democrats and Republicans. The number varies a little bit. And what we saw in 2016 is while Democrats tended to turn out uh, for Hillary Clinton, uh, the independents split more towards the Republican camp, particularly white suburban women, particularly in a state like Pennsylvania. But I think if we look at the literature and political science, we see that there are different types of elections, maintaining elections, deviating elections, and so forth. And I think what we see is that a lot of people in 2016 decided that they weren't comfortable with the way things were happening and they were going to shake things up. They were going to trust a business person to come in and run things. And as a result, Charlie's biggest point was, well, look what happened to the economy. Well, part of the reason why the economy did so well is because of the change in the tax structure, which basically took money from the pool of resources that are raised and basically gave it to corporations. Now that's a, a policy decision and people can decide whether or not that's good or bad. You can decide whether or not trickle down economics is good or bad. But so far my reading on it is that trickle down economics ultimately doesn't really work. But if we go and we take a look at what's happening right now, I think that the situation is such that I think that there's become a sort of a cult almost of Donald Trump supporters. That doesn't mean that everyone is in this cult that's a Republican, but a number of people are. And I think that was demonstrated this week on the storming of the U.S. Capitol. Those are not traditional Republicans. Uh, they aren't establishment Republicans. These are disaffected people with grievances. President Donald Trump did tap into a segment of the population that had been ignored. Uh, some of these uh, individuals had been uh, part of the Democratic Party in previous uh, years because they were working class and they felt like they had been ignored by traditional Republicans and Democrats. And so when President Donald Trump rose up, he seemed to tap into those individuals. And I call that Trumpism, this attraction, uh, the personality that brings in these individuals who felt disaffected. How do you sort of link those individuals with the more traditional party to kind of bridge, to, to, to bridge that gap? Well, I think if you take a look, particularly even this week, about the responses he got from traditional Republicans, including people like George W. Bush, including Dick Cheney, two people that no one would consider on the liberal end of the spectrum, they basically clearly spoke out against what was transpiring in Washington. I think what we have to understand is, is that the, the Republicans have an, an identity problem. They have to figure out really who they are. And what they're facing long-term, not necessarily short-term, but long-term, is whether or not they can continue as a political party or whether or not we're gonna see more actions like the uh, Lincoln Republicans, a uh, group of people who became disaffected Republicans who campaigned actively against President Trump. Um, and now, uh, Charlie raised the issue, well, the Democrats also have this type of, of uh, concern as well. And that's the AOC sort of political left group. But let's just remember that the Democratic Party elected Joe Biden. Joe Biden would hardly be considered part of the the extreme AOC left, group, yeah. okay? 
Uh, he and AOC don't really agree on much at all, but they all made peace to try and win the White House. And yeah. we've seen by President Biden or President-elect Biden, his yeah. nominees, his cabinet secretaries in high posts, that he tried to diversify who got into office. They're not all people on the left. They're not all people on the right. And I want to bring Charlie back in here because, you know, you know, there were some signposts, I think, and, and Bill, you can comment on this as well, that the Republican Party was sort of headed this way. I mean, Sarah, I think of Sarah Palin as like a signpost that things were shifting in GOP politics. Were there other signposts, you think, it, that opened the door for a character like a Donald Trump to rise up and sort of take over where you would have literally Republican members storming the U.S. Capitol. If you take back a few years and you go to a place like Charlotte, Virginia, where there were massive demonstrations, um, these were demonstrations where Donald Trump's comment was basically there were good people on both sides. And those were uh, situations where you had neo-Nazis and white nationalists marching. So he was giving an opportunity for voice to groups which most Americans would not support. So this sort of sent a fissure through the Republican Party because many Republicans didn't want to embrace that. But Trump was willing to do that. And those are the types of people yeah. that we saw that stormed the Capitol this week. So and, I think and Charlie, that, I want you to just your response, the people who still support President Donald Trump, even after this. I'm sure there are segments, your comments on how do you bring the party back from, from folks literally breaking federal law and, and storming the Capitol in this way? Well, and we've seen, you know, an awful lot of breaking of law across the board, and that's troubling to all of us. I mean, I've been somebody that has for months and years talked about the rule of law and lawlessness can't be tolerated in any form by anybody. But you've got 75 million. 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump. This isn't some small little Four million, 200 plus thousand. I mean, that's a big roundup, 800,000 extra votes there. Let me, let me rephrase, 74 million, okay? I mean, this is where we kind of get lost in the shuffle. When you're, talk <laughs> when you're talking in those numbers, I think it becomes pretty clear that there is a big opportunity to take those folks and add to them a growing number of people that are going to be significantly concerned with a dramatic leftward tilt and a socialist agenda on the part of the National Democrats, which we're gonna see in full view over the course of the next few weeks. We began to see it early this week. Frankly, I wish more people had had the opportunity to observe the opening session of Congress. They didn't but we're going to have an opportunity to see whether or not people want the Green New Deal, defunding of police, mm -hmm. massive tax increases, defunding of our military, et cetera. I don't think that's where America wants to go. And I think and, the pendulum- And do you think America wanted to go hard. where Wednesday went though? Do you think America wanted not. that of as well? That's the other, that, those are both there's, extremes. How do you- There's nobody, there's yeah. nobody in the rational world right now that's gonna defend what happened on Wednesday, nobody. So. I mean, I, I don't even think that's an issue at this juncture. We're talking about the future. And I think to be very candid that the future for the Republicans is pretty bright when it's all said and done. The pendulum always swings back 
the Democrats get their moment to, you know, crow right now and Republicans have to pick themselves up after a loss, dust themselves off, learn the lessons and move forward. And I think there's a great opportunity to do that. Well, thank you very much, Charlie. And any thoughts to that, uh, Bill, as we wrap up? Uh, I, I'm a little less optimistic uh, about the future of the Republican Party than Charlie is, uh, particularly when you saw the active uh, behaviors of uh, the Lincoln Republicans that basically caused a major fissure. And the traditional establishment Republicans, who even on Wednesday, with Mitch McConnell giving his uh, speech on the, on the floor, basically was saying the election's over, we're moving forward, we have to form a new sort of direction. Even Lindsey Graham said this. So what happens is I think that many of these people that included those six members of the Senate and about 140 members of the House have to really do some soul searching. And it's gonna be interesting to see whether or not the public holds these individuals accountable. On that note, we'll have to wrap it up and leave it there. Thank you so much to Charlie DeRoe and to Professor Bill Rosenberg. Next up, they're honoring Philly's Black music history by inspiring today's creatives. We have some of the most talented people in the world that come out of here in Philadelphia. A pandemic-born project designed to give Philly's art scene more visibility. We'll be right back. Patriot Home Care is here to help when their clients need them most. If you're a caregiver and feel uncertain about where you're working now, call Patriot today. Patriot Home Care is now paying up to $600 in hazard pay to its current and newly hired direct care workers, recognizing their hard work and caring for our consumers during these uncertain times. Hazard pay will be up to $600 per direct care worker. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org. That's PatriotHomeCare.org. Or call 1-877-535-5550. Hey, Flashpoint family, if you like what you hear, why don't you stick around and take a listen to some of our past episodes or our Flashpoint extras. One example is our exclusive interview with the one and only DJ Jazzy Jeff. He contracted COVID-19. He had some dark moments, but he survived. Take a listen to his journey. Another example is our Pat's Newsmaker of the Week, Andrew Wyatt. He's spokesman for actor and comedian Bill Cosby. He explains why they're petitioning the governor to hopefully get the cause out of jail early. All of this and more. Please subscribe to the podcast and rate and review. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. Now, we here at KYW, we are all about community, and a Philadelphia-based organization is honoring black music history by inspiring the creatives of today. Here to talk about Black Music City Project is our Patriot Home Care Changemaker, the co-founders of Rec Philly, David Silver and Will Tom. Gentlemen, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you, Cherry. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, thanks. Yes. So-, so I'm really excited to talk about art and music in Philadelphia. And so for folks who've never heard of this Black Music City project, specifically in Philly, explain what it is, how it will work. 
So the Black Music City Project um, is one that came up really as a response to a lot of the need um, in our creative community surrounding what's been happening right in 2020 and now in 2021. So since June of last year, we've been raising and distributing grant funding to creators that we know have been adversely affected, right? Folks aren't able to get out on the road. Folks aren't able to touch stages. Folks aren't even able to go out and shoot weddings, right? The way they used to earn lots of their revenue. So knowing that there's a huge need for folks to be able to make money to sustain themselves right now, to fund great projects, and also to get the visibility to the creators that we know that they deserve. That's where this program came about. And this is really a partnership with ourselves and WXPN and WRTI. And it's about saying, hey, we're raising about $30,000 in grant funding specifically for folks who understand the importance and want to celebrate the rich Black music history we have here in Philadelphia. Grants are now currently available open until January 25th. And it's about folks saying, hey, I have an idea for a project that's going to celebrate our rich music history here. And it's open for any type of creator to come on and apply to then get that funding. And then in June, after the contest is over, we'll get to highlight some of the great work that was able to come out of this project. Yeah, there was, there's, there's two things that Will said in particular I just want to double down on. Uh, one is... Uh, that we are celebrating Philadelphia's rich music history with these projects. So our, the applications that people are submitting for the grant opportunity, they have to be about uh, creating art that is about uh, and honoring either someone or something of Philly's Black music history. The other part is um, that any creative medium side of it. Um, it's This is not just for musicians to create music. This is for painters to make a piece about a Philadelphia black music legend. This is for uh, photographers to put together photo collages. Uh, this is for a spoken word artist to put together a poem. This could be any type of creative medium. Um, the qualifications are that you are a black creative uh, in the Philadelphia region. That could be in uh, in PA, that could be in Delaware, that could be in um, Jersey. Uh, Jersey, mm -hmm. and that you're honoring a Philadelphia black music history in some capacity. And I got to point out that the grants are a minimum of $1,000 to give to support people financially. Artists love money. They need money. That's so all this financial support. And then there's also a platform to, to showcase this. What will the financial support and platform, what does that mean to an artist, especially right now? Yeah, that, that means the world. You know, I mean, the two challenges that you, you know, you're pointing out here are artists need money to fund their projects, right? But then also artists need support in getting in front of the folks that are appreciating the art that they create, right? So we wanted to build this in a way that we knew we could be supportive in both areas. So as you mentioned, the, the grants are a minimum of $1,000 per project, and that can actually go up to about $3,500 in grant funding that folks can receive. And then again, we have an incredible uh, selection committee that's helping us to actually evaluate the entries. Really talented folks from Diana Williams to Alex Holly, Gerald Beasley, Chill Moody, uh, the folks from Tiny Room uh, for Elephants, Ashley Coleman Thomas. So what happens is they get selected and the winners then at the end get to work with us to actually highlight their projects. We're working with our partners over at WXPN to be able to shine as much light on the winners as possible. Yeah. yeah, I think that's awesome. And shout out to Deanna Williams, who actually is the creator of Black Music Month, which is June. Dave, you guys created Rec Philly um, to solve a major problem that I think existed for artists. Could you explain what that is and how this project ties to that? Absolutely. So Rec, for anyone who isn't familiar, it stands for Resources for Every Creator. 
we have a, a 10,000 square foot creative center here located at 9th and Market. We're actually in it right now in our WXPN podcast studio. Uh, we have 14 private studios, recording studios, photo, video studios, like I said, podcasting, dance studios, uh, rehearsal rooms, all, all that stuff. And it's all for creatives in the Philadelphia region to access the, the resources uh, that they need to, to make money from their, their art. So we're, we're set up like a, like a gym membership, but for creators. Uh, over a thousand members in our community of all different types of, of creative mediums really makes for a beautiful community. We do a ton of educational programming, teaching creative entrepreneurship to the local creatives in the city. And, and that's what we're really all about. Yeah, it's all about empowering creative people to do more of what they love to do. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me was this idea that people always felt they had to leave Philly in order to be successful in the arts, whereas Atlanta doesn't have that same, you can be in Atlanta and live in Atlanta and rock in Atlanta, New York, you know, Chicago, everywhere else. That's and and how does Rec Philly solve, try to work to, to, to change that perception? That was, that was such a strong narrative um, that we were up against coming into building our, our business here. And really, you know, the narrative was built off of this idea that folks, when they, they were building, they said, hey, maybe there's other cities where it'd be easier for me to find access to the resources I need when I need them. And maybe it's a little bit clearer to understand where I can go to learn the strategies of actually how do I make money through my art, right? Yeah. And these other cities, there was a perception that, you know, there was a, a more thriving creative community in a New York and in LA. But the reality is all the resources that creatives need here, especially to build independently, they're all here in Philadelphia right? We have some of the most talented people, right, in the world that come out of here in Philadelphia. And we have such a rich music history of folks who have, you know, decade and decade have been able to show what's possible from here in Philadelphia. So for us, we said, you know what, well, maybe it's not that the resources aren't here, because we know they are, but they need to be organized in a way that makes it a little bit more accessible for folks to navigate. So that's really what we've been up to, working to say, hey, we've got the 14 private studios here. So you have everything you need when you need it. We're teaching the information, right? And really showing you what it looks like to build a business around your talent. And then to kick it off, it's, it's really about having the supportive uh, group of like-minded people around you to help you along the journey. It's like a built-in community over there. January 25th, deadline to submit your application to get a piece of this money and to be able to celebrate Philadelphia's Black music history. Where can people go to sign up, get all the information and put their application in? Yeah, all the information is at blackmusiccity.com. Uh, you go there, you can see all the, the judging criteria, uh, the applications there, or the timelines there. Uh, so make sure you fill out your grant application. It's one per individual. Even if you're in a band, you can have individuals of the band all apply for, for the same project, for different projects. Also really important to know, artists will own 100% of their work from this project. You don't have to worry about making it and someone else monetizing off of it or not having ownership. It is 100% ownership of the work that you complete. So please take advantage of this opportunity. Yeah, to do good work and then to have the opportunity to showcase it in June, which is Black Music Month. So check them out, blackmusiccity.com. For anyone who's heard about what we're doing and you're interested in learning more or just learning about creative entrepreneurship, uh, all the time we're creating events for folks to be able to tap in and learn more and get connected to our community. And you can find all of that info available at recfilly.com slash event. Thank you so much to David Silver and Will Toms for coming on Flashpoint. I appreciate you. 
That's it for Flashpoint. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. And since we always wrap it with a quote, here's a paraphrased version of one by Abraham Lincoln. America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we lose our freedoms, it will be because we have destroyed ourselves from within. This show was produced by Ariane Fulcher and me, your host, Cherry Gregg. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Until next week, thanks for listening.